What is the evidence of true spirituality? What is legalism? Why is it dangerous? Why is the Bible necessary for salvation? What is it that makes Christianity the truth and the way against all other religions? Is the church really a place or is it a people? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? How can we know what translation of the Bible is actually correct. Does God want me to be happy? What does John 3.16 really say? What's wrong with the Word of Faith movement? Am I able to ask God for immense wealth? Is there sufficient knowledge for salvation in the Bible? Maybe you've had questions similar to these, or maybe you have a question that needs to be answered. Well, your wait is now over. Well, good day and welcome to another episode of Theology Answers. I'm James Tippins, and with me every time is Edward Dalcor. We are your hosts, and today we're going to answer the question, what is the perseverance of the saints? Is it biblical? A lot of times people like to use the term in our vernacular um, or in our culture, the idea of once saved, always saved. And that seems to be very prevalent amongst a lot of evangelical people, Protestants, etc. Um, but we don't really take that phrase to be a good standard. We prefer the idea, or the Bible teaches, that God preserves his people. And so we're going to deal with the preservation of the saints um, and can also be, be understood as eternal security. In other words, what assurance do we have that God has saved us and that God will keep us saved? And the reason it's important is because there are a lot of cults, and there are a lot of evangelical cults even, who believe that salvation is all of God and all of grace— but then, in order to stay in that salvation, one must continue to produce certain things. One must continue in a certain standard of righteous works. One must continue in a certain standard of religious acts, and so on and so forth. Because So we're going to talk about that today. One of the things that uh, the truth, as far as textually, we'll probably talk about this, but in Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about the guarantee of our inheritance who is the promised Holy Spirit, and so that we will be guaranteed to receive that which God has promised to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And with that, I'll go ahead and say that next May, we're going to be hosting, and Brother Edward is going to be one of the teachers, we're going to be hosting a uh, conference on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, and so this will definitely be something that we will talk about. But that's going to be our topic for today. We did receive some emails this week, and we do have a Q&A coming up next week where we'll answer four or five questions that have come to us over the last uh, few months. And if you have a question, please go to theologyanswers.com and submit it there. We look forward to talking with you all and to interacting continually on social media and at the end of our broadcast today, we'll give you more information on how you can contact us and learn more about the truth of Scripture. So, Brother Edward, we'll just let you begin to talk about the perseverance of the saints. Yeah, the perseverance, um, also called the preservation of the saints, um, which may be a more appropriate term because it actually defines the process of the triune God Yes. keeping and sustaining his elect in a state of grace, mm. in a state of grace. And this doctrine of perseverance or preservation of the elect or saints or Christians, um, it's the very heart of God's work in regeneration and justification. And it has in common with regeneration justification. Uh, the commonality there is it's monergistic. It's God alone. Right. 
keeping us in a state of grace. If it were dependent on us, um, <laughs> nobody would stay in a state of grace because of our, our sin. And it's really the biblical teaching that God, the Son's mediatorial work, mediatorial work does not fail. Yes. And it does define God's infallible, sovereign, salvific work in the lives of his people from beginning to end. Amen. Right? Not, you know, we're not put on a probation kind of time to see what's going to happen as in most of the non-christian religions or as i call religious or atheistic religions um like jehovah's witnesses and others they have a a system in roman catholicism where your whole life it's on a probation you never know yes you know what's going to happen but as you uh said there's christian so-called christian denominations that do hold to something called as we call it conditional salvation right which is based as i see it you probably see the same thing james um i see a conditional salvation view mainly based on either philosophical or emotional grounds correct and it's interesting because we find just a a boatload of misinterpretation of single passages. You, you know, you ever notice that? It's always a single passage, ignoring the exegesis of entire sections of Scripture. Yes. And as I see, the two main reasons for conditional salvation is, number one, a lack of understanding of the doctrine of, of justification, mm -hmm. being the Father's work alone, a one-time right. pronouncement or declaration of the sinner being... Uh, or as righteous or just, right? Right. Faith being the instrumental precondition of justification. And one of the reasons why I see a conditional salvation here is because they confuse justification with uh, our ongoing life, our journey yeah. as a Christian. So if you sin, you know, they, they, they confuse that you know, with, with justification and Christians need to understand the differences between, uh, justification and godly living and, and trying to live a godly life and so on and so forth, because we fell, we're victorious, but right. a lot of times we, we fell. And, uh, last point here in terms of, um, some of the reasons why a conditional salvation is, is even asserted is because they don't understand that justification it not only is it monergistic, but it's objective. It's not philosophical. That's right. It's not subjective. It's not emotional. Nor, and everyone needs to listen to this, it's not the inner working of the Holy Spirit. That's not justification. That's correct. The very ground of our justification is the vicarious, right? The that's cross right. work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very much. So I, though that's my uh, observations as to why... People uh, hold to a conditional salvation and deny God's perseverance in this. Yes. Those two reasons. And it'd be good to remind you all who are listening that uh, episode eight and nine of this podcast series, we deal with the um, the atonement, the effectual and particular atonement, and we deal with Second Peter three nine as well in an entire podcast. And I think that it's important for, for everyone to understand that the doctrine of perseverance or preserving the work of God toward his elect, we must recognize that the gospel as taught in Scripture is a gospel of covenant. 
and it is a promise of covenant. God has created the conditions of the covenant of election, the covenant of redemption, the covenant of grace, and he has fulfilled those conditions. And so, in other words, election, by definition, illustrates the need for a grace that is effectual and irresistible. And so because we believe that the Scripture, not because we believe, because the Bible teaches that the gospel is confined to God's election and his purposes, so that which God has elected to do, he will certainly not permit to be undone. And it's it's a... It's a difficult doctrine because the culture in which we live is so inundated with false gospels from the time of Finney to the present day. Most of the predominant and the most uh, prolific and the most well-known so-called pastor, teacher, theologians, evangelists have all come from the root of error and the root of heresy when it comes to understanding the work of God in redemption. Most people would say, well, you know, that, that not only is the gospel something that man does to respond to what God offers, but then because that is philosophically asserted, then like you just said, brother, then it naturally flows to the idea that if we came, then we can certainly what? Fall away. And we can right. remove ourselves from the state of grace. Um, and that's sort of what we're going to talk about today. And uh, it's, 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 it's a very important thing for the believer to understand and to be able to defend contextually. So where do you think we should start? Hmm. Well, I think, you know, there, there's just like the deity of Christ. Um, I think that the new, as I see the New Testament, Old Testament establish perseverance of the saints, yeah. that God's keeping power. And that he holds his elect and we're sealed for the day of redemption. I think some of the New Testament passages, um, and there's many. And again, this is tied into understanding accurately the doctrine of justification. I think some of the chief passages that uh, explicate most, um, or at least establish this doctrine, is in John's literature. Yes. 524 and 637 and 40. Mm-hmm. It seems like every podcast we, yeah, we we've always end up with those verses. We've been in John 6 a lot in the last few months. <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course, John 10, right? Yes. 27, 28. Mm-hmm. And Romans 4. And then, of course, Romans, Romans 8, Romans 8. Uh, starting from 28 through 39. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's others. But I think these are some of the most important um, or some of the texts that actually establish exegetically that we are sealed. What he started, he's going to finish till the end. Right. We have eternal life. And if eternal life can be suffered, I think it was Walter Martin that said this. He, he said two things I really like on this subject. He says, if eternal life can be suffered, it can't be called eternal life. That's correct. And then he said, if salvation was, was dependent on us, um, or if we think we're holding on Christ for our salvation, uh, we can never do it because our hands are greasy with sin. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But I think good. we have to, before we get in those texts, those few texts, I think we have to understand also that, um, particularly in John's literature, and Paul's, but particularly in John's, especially in John's literature, in the context of salvation, we see ongoing te- texts being u- utilized uh, in the form of participles. And we talked about this, ING verbs. Right. Um, some of the verbs that, that denote 
participle can denote a ongoing action. It could de- denote, um, uh, particularly the present tense active participle, um, ongoingness. For instance, in John three sixteen and five twenty four, as we'll see, and, and uh, many other passages. John uses the participle uh, as recorded, as he recorded Christ in a lot of these passages, um, believing. uh, Everyone who is believing, like in John 3.16, all the believing ones. And um, 5.24 and the other passages, uh, it's not just belief, it's believing. It's ongoing believing. And if you're a Christian where your faith is the result. That's right of regeneration, you're not going to waver in your faith because the scriptures doesn't know of anyone who was actually regenerated. And then they stop, you know, they They stop stop believing. believing. Right. That's right. Um, so pistuon is a, a pistuon is a, is a verb that's utilized many places in John's literature, translated believing, uh, a kuon, uh, hearing everyone who is hearing, right. Uh, ergomenos, um, everyone who's coming, and one of my favorites in John six fifty four, when he says, um, "Unless you're or whoever is is um, whoever eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life." Well, those two verbs there, eating and drinking, uh, trogon and pinon, these are participles. Whoever is literally lexically munching on my flesh, who keeps on munching on my flesh and drinking my blood. Yeah. has eternal life. That's These right. are ongoing actions of the believer. And, um, and there's many others that we can go through, but I just want to, you know, preface the other passages with the doctrine that our Christian life is ongoing. It's denoted by present tense, active participles. It doesn't know of anyone. Scripture doesn't know of anyone who all of a sudden they, they believe for a little while and then they don't believe it's right. the, Tons of these present tense participles. It's beautiful, you know. Right. And yeah, that's I the Christian like life. To say, I, I've been saying for years, fifteen plus years, that saving faith, and I use that term contextually in that in that sense. You know, believing and faith is not a point in history, but it's a present reality. So I'm I'm believing mm, today. Good. I, I didn't believe in in, ni- in 1980. I'm believing. I may have began believing then, but I'm still believing today. And if I ever stop believing, I never did believe. And that's and that's the difference. You know, I, I quoted Ephesians one thirteen and fourteen, or paraphrased it in the in the very beginning. You know, when we heard, let me let me just read that for us. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, which is the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is God, by the way, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul remarks to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And there's tons more of just peripheral verses that teach us that God has done the work and that he's promised the Holy Spirit as the, as, as the um, guarantee. So therefore, if God has promised his Holy Spirit as the guarantee, that means if things could change with that, then God is not truthful. God must, must not be 
held to the standard of being immutable because he can change if we decide mm. to lose our salvation. So God is not the one who secures eternally the believer. It is the believer who does that work. And quite honestly, that's a, a bigger problem than really we have time to deal with. And that should help us to realize that our perseverance is not dependent upon our good works. It's not dependent upon the essence of our faith, because our faith can ebb and flow. We can have a weak faith or a strong faith. But it is dependent solely upon God's mercy and his effectual work. And I think that's what we're going to see today as we begin to look through these these passages and, and see that there is a prescription that's completely divine and completely perfectly accomplished through the work of Christ. So that perseverance really is just another reiteration of all of the elements of the gospel and the doctrines of the gospel of grace. Mm. So we'll see the atonement and what it does effectually <laughs> and that we are preserved because of what Christ has done. We are preserved because of what God's grace does. We are preserved because we are unable to do anything to affect our salvation. Thus, we are unable to do anything to secure and keep our salvation. And we could just go on down the line and, and, and deal with the so-called tulip of, of the Reformed tradition. But um, I, I think we're going to find a, a very – at the end, why do we care? Because it is part of the reason that the gospel is called good news. We are not worried about our eternal place and standing before the Lord because Jesus Christ has established it and secured it, and he's promised it through the Spirit of God within us. We have the Spirit of Christ, Paul says in Romans 8. We've been given the Spirit of Christ, and because we are the children of God, we have the Spirit of God within us. So the mm, Spirit of God yeah. cannot be lost, and he surely isn't going to condemn anyone that he indwells. So, right, and you know, and to define what we mean by again conditional conditional salvation is simply uh, you can be a saved Christian, and then if you and this seems to be um, the universal view of people that hold to conditional salvation from Christian denomination to Roman Catholics, yeah, um, you can be a Christian, uh, truly born again, and if you commit certain sins. Uh, you know, they, they, it's interesting. They, they put a level on different sins, like speeding on the freeway is not the same as adultery. Yeah. Well, if you commit certain bad sins, then, um, you have to ask for repentance. And what happens is if, if you, if you don't ask for repentance, you happen to die, you will forfeit your salvation, justification, redemption, the work of Christ being applied to your life. You're, you forfeited all that. Because of your your lack of performance, so that's right. what we're because you didn't repent, and um, there is a lot of uh, unfortunately a lot of charismatics uh, hold to this too, because doctrine is really not a, a high point in their the most in, or many I should say, right. in their theology. But um, it's unfortunate because you live life, you know, very fearful. And my question is, if you lose it, you know, and I've asked this question to many. I get different answers. How do you get it back? Do you, do you have to say a sinner's prayer, or do you know? Hmm. Do you, wow, you know, I don't know. Right, right. Um, I think we should, let, let, let's look at John's literature. Just sure. take a few verses. Um, John five twenty four. Yeah, simple, simple passage. And again, this is consistent with the entirety of John's literature. How he yeah. looks at salvation. 
And it's similar to the deity of Christ, the same exegetical established um, support is also can be said about um, also can be said about this doctrine. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say unto you, whoever is, uh, I'll, I'll read it literally, whoever is hearing, right? A kuon, participle, whoever keeps hearing, that's us, my word and pistuon, there's that verb again, believing him who sent me has, ikai, has eternal life right. and does not come in the judgment, but has, I love this perfect, perfect tense here, um, metababacon, that's a, that's a perfect indicative verb, right? Mm-hmm. Past action with completed results right. has passed Past. out of death into life. He, do, but he does not come in the judgment. Why? Because he's passed out of, out of death yeah. into life. You know, and um, if I could, because there's so many passages in John that, that actually is a similar construction. When you have a present tense participle, like believing and hearing, and you have the main, you have the, the verb, the present tense verb, uh, has eternal life, the word has, ekai, um, the, the, the time element here denotes a simultaneous action. So what that means, at the time you're hearing, at the time you're believing, you're not waiting for something. You have eternal life and you don't come in the judgment, says Christ. Why? Because you've passed out of death. That's what it says. Perfect tense. Yeah. Past action, completed results. You passed out of out of death into life. Beautiful passage there. That's right. That's very akin to the John 6 passages we've dealt with in the last two podcasts, that everyone that the Father gives will come, and he will raise them up. It's an imperative. It's mm. something that's absolutely guaranteed. It will, They will be raised. And then John 10, you've already mentioned. You've already mentioned some of the possibility there. Um, I and, give and, eternal life. Yeah. And James doesn't in John six. He he also the same group. He promises uh, raising them up uh, a few different times in John six. Right. That's correct. He does. <clears throat> and that he would lose John's, nothing of all that he's given me. But raise it up at the last day. That's right. But raise um, it up. We were talking about eating, munching his flesh, drinking his blood. A lot of Christians think that is referring to Passover. And, um, and of course with Catholicism and other baptismal regeneration groups, of course it is, you know, of course, Passover is nowhere to be found in John chapter, right. uh, chapter, chapter six here. Well, Jesus defined, you know, and this, this is what we're talking about here. Jesus defines what he means, um, as we probably went over this before, but in terms of our, our preservation, listen to John six thirty five. Jesus said to them, he says, I'm the bread of life. Who, um, who is coming to me, the, the participles use, or gominos. Whoever keeps coming to me will never, my favorite construction, the Greek language, never, never, not even a possibility, hunger. hunger. Yeah. Never, never, not, you have a, the, the double negative followed by a subjunctive areas. I think this, this uh, ume is used, uh, uh, double negatives used 94 times in the Greek text. Mm-hmm. Never, never, not even a possibility. Strongest way to negate a future possibility. Whoever is coming to me, never, never, right? Okay. Not even a possibility will go, will, will hunger. And he who, uh, believing, he who is believing in me will never, never, not even a possibility, 
thirst. And the Greek says it's really interesting. It has a has a has a term here, uh, popata. English translations don't have it, but literally this passage reads: "The one believing in me, never, never, not even a possibility, shall thirst at any time." Yeah, that the the term translated at any time, right? Potata. It's actually in the Greek text. It's it's very interesting. Mm. It's a beautiful passage there, um, and you know, Jesus, and as we saw before, Jesus explains in verse 37 following why they don't believe and he goes to give this beautiful presentation on irresistible grace and and definite atonement and and he uses that that um whoever comes to me i will never never not a possibility cast out um and the one that you mentioned in verse 39 of all that he has given me these are only the ones the father has given to christ um i lose nothing but raise uh Alta it up at the last day. Same group as the other passages in um, in John six. It's a beautiful uh, set of passages there dealing with so much doctrine. Yes, absolutely. It's very, very, very rich, and you know, it, it, it's it, it's almost silly to say this because it does seem like, and you know, there, we live in a day and age, Eddie, where a lot of people mock unbelief and they they make fun of and poke fun of and jeer at people who aren't aren't born again and can't see this um, and can't understand it. Uh, And then they also then, by doing so, sometimes broad stroke in some of their brothers and sisters in because they just don't have a good grasp on how to articulate the the gospel in this way. And that's why we teach. That's what we do. And that's why the body is supposed to sit under the teaching of the Word. And that's why pastors who are worth their weight and salt should spend time studying and grow forever and ever and ever until they stop teaching uh, in their understanding of how to grasp and articulate the text of Scripture. But, you know, we, we... we have all heard from numerous people throughout the years, well, the Bible doesn't explicitly teach that. You know, there, you've got this verse and you've got that verse. And, and people will take verses. And, for example, First John 2.19, they went out from un, of us, you know, because they're not from us. Um, what is it? Second Corinthians 13.5, you know, make your calling election sure, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Test your salvation to see if you're in the faith. And what people are forgetting is that those are pretexts. There's a context there that is not involved in people's understanding. But when you take John's gospel, when you take John 5, when you take John 1, (laughs) when you take John 1, you take John 3, you take John 4 and 5, you take John 6 and 10, and you put all these together even in its own context, but it's insurmountable evidence, contextual, grammar, syntax, all of that in plain language that teach explicitly about all of these doctrines, that Christ has satisfied the wrath of his people. He has saved his people from their sins. He has saved the ones that God calls his children because he's given them to the Father. No one will cast them away. They cannot be destroyed. They will not be ruined. They cannot be lost because they've been given to Jesus. They've been drawn powerfully and effectually to the Father through Christ, given to Christ, and he will raise them up. They are eternally secure. And mm. and to, to argue otherwise, there's there's just there's always been this amazement to me of how passionate people argue against what they even read. 
They'll read these passages of Scripture, and they'll create this pretext of saying, see this Bible says. But, okay, let's say that we did have some areas, some small sentences in Scripture. You can't overcome the full context of the teaching of Jesus. You cannot overcome it. And though we understand the the foundation of what the authority of Scripture is and what Timothy is taught by Paul in his second epistle, that all Scripture is breathed out by God, that every jot and tittle, Paul even even takes upon his own his own writing that it is divine and it is God's word. But even if you know we only had the apostles, there could be a philosophical argument. Well, how do we know that it's exactly what Jesus taught? Because we have it. <laughs> we have it in John's gospel. So the only way we can get out of it is to say that the, the Johannine writings are non-canonical and that Paul didn't know what he was talking about. Uh, and then we'd have to remove Peter, and then we'd have to remove James, and then we'd have to, you know. So we really come to the end of it when someone just wants to assert this as a false doctrine. They, they have to either say the Bible is not a, the authority here. Or they have to just just confess that they're just not able to understand it, um, either through mental inability or, as we talked about a couple of podcasts ago, they have depravity. They have total inability, not mental, but total spiritual inability to grasp it. And, and that's mm. important for our listeners to keep in mind when they're sharing this. That you're not going to get people to grasp this reality without being born of the of the spirit. That even though you can pull it in a, I mean, I know a lot of people who confess to be in Christ, and so many of them are even what we would call reformed or doctrines of grace or sovereign grace or the gospel of grace. You know, and they would believe in the the, the precepts and the propositions that we talk about and teach. But their faith is not in this teaching. Their faith is not in the person of this teaching. They just academically enjoy the journey. And every now and then you'll see, and I know some, you know, Calvinistic pastors just fall away and now they're atheists. And people go, so what in the world? Where's that perseverance? (laughs) There was no perseverance. They have preserved, they have persevered in unbelief is what they've done. The condemnation of God has remained on them. Just because they can regurgitate the right information does not mean that they are truly that they truly belong to Christ. And the new birth, and I don't know, we we might do a whole podcast on the new birth uh, if we haven't. I know we haven't done that yet, but you know, the new birth is 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 the quintessential key. It's the cornerstone to all of this working together. It's not an it's not an adventure of the mind, as John John would say. It's not a will of the flesh or of the mind or a decision of the mind, but it is by the will of God that we are His children, and because of that, we are secure and and we are safe in the work of God. So, what are some other areas of Scripture that are just as powerful as that as that John um, that well, John six and John five, brother? And and you made a good point. And as we're looking at John six or John five, John six, these are the words of Christ. Not that they have less authority than the words of Paul right. or any place in Scripture, but this is what Christ and how they recorded Christ saying these, you know, the, these words. And we have to understand that every construction, every paragraph, every word, it's theopanistos, as God breathed out. Um, John ten, his dialogue with the Jews. He says, and we'll skip down to verse twenty six. 
Okay. Now, this is, uh, um, now this is after he said, um, you know, around 15 following that I, I die for my sheep. That's it. I die for my sheep. That's right. And then he says to the non-believers, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. Interesting. He didn't say the converse. You, you're not my sheep because you don't believe. Right. That seems to be the majority view these days. Right. But no, you don't believe because you're, you're not my sheep. So belief is not how you become a sheep. You're a sheep before you believe. Believing is the result of becoming a sheep. Okay. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Now here's 28. And I give eternal life to them. And they, ume apolontai, they will, ne they never, never, not even a possibility. We have that same construction, right. the double negative, followed by the subjunctive areas. And I'll, I should explain that. Um, there was... There was different ways to say, in English, there's different ways to, or we say no or never, right? We have, I think, one word, never, to negate a future possibility. Um, Greek has a few different ways. One of the ways, one of the strongest ways is to use a double negative, never, never, uh, denoted by the two particles of negation, ume, right? Mm -hmm. However, there's a, the verb following the mood is, um, in these constructions, particularly salvation constructions is in the subjunctive mood. And for our listeners out there that, that, um, didn't even in English, we have moods that didn't take a lot of English classes. Moods really denote the reality of an action. In other words, in Greek, um, if I say James, I, I, I am going to the store. That's an indicative. You know for sure I'm going to the store. Right. If I say, um, I may go to the store. Okay, that's a, a wish. You know, that's an optative mood. But if I say, James, go to the store. I'm, I'm ordering you. That's an imperative. But then we have something called a subjunctive mood, which um, basically can denote uh, possibility, right? So what happens when you put the possibility, whether the, the particularly with the areas, but the possibility mood after the double negative, here's what you have. <laughs> and they, says Christ, never, never, subjunctive mood, not even a possibility will they perish. Right. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. It's beautiful. But it, are you ready for this? It gets even more beautiful, more strong. It gets just so utterly definitive, crystal clear. By a particular phrase that you and I talked about before that's not in the English. Well, it's in Young's literal. It's very interesting in his literal uh, translation. But most English standard translations do not have this. When he says, um, I give them eternal life, and they will never, never, not in possibility, perish, and no one will snatch, snatch them from out of my hand. Mm -hmm. After the double negative followed by the... Um, shall perish, you know, never, never, not in possibility, shall perish. We have a phrase in the Greek, and it's not in the English, ace ton iona, mm -hmm. into the age. To the age. And that's what we have here. So it literally says, never, never. This is my, my sheep, I give them eternal life, and never, never, not even a possibility, shall they perish into the age. I mean, it, yeah. it's used about seven times, that, that phrase there in the New Testament, um, in John eight fifty one, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, never, never, not in possibility, shall they see death. So you have the double negative construction mm -hmm. there. Into the age, it has it there too. And and my favorite is John eleven twenty five and twenty six, um, where he says literally, um, uh, all the ones living and believing in me, two participles, shall 
never, never, not even a possibility, perish, aston iona, into the age. Um, Young's translates this here also as to the age. He adds it. So there's many places uh, where we have the double negative, but that that one fr- or that phrase, that prepositional phrase, into the age, is just is, is just very interesting. And it's used in salvation context and uh, just establishes even more the words of Christ on this particular issue. Right, and it's and it's cool to see that you know I give them life eternal and they will perish never. Is strong mm, enough in yeah. the English. <laughs> but then when you see that phrase there, and I remember us talking about that months ago, and, you know, uh, you know, in, into the ages, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever eternally, they will never perish. Um, you know, you've made a really good, you made a really good point um, on all these passages. You know, I quoted a few relevant Greek terms that intensify what I'm with, you know, the passage. But you know what? Any recognized translation. Whether right. you have a King James or an NASB, any recognized translation communicates these doctrines, what I'm saying on these verses, so utterly clear, as clear as the deity of Christ passages. Right. There's Absolutely. no excuse for someone. You can't let your emotion get in the way of That's this right. doctrine. That's, That's right. That's what normally happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I actually, I just got a, a couple more. I was looking at um, uh, Romans 4. And um, as we discussed before, um, I pointed out that Paul's, his whole main thesis in Romans, of course, is God's method of justification has not changed, yeah. right? He goes from, from Abraham to quoting David to himself, to us, you know, and he's saying that God's method of justification has not changed in, in verse six, God credits or imputes like imputes righteousness, uh, Apart, Caris, apart from works. And then this beautiful passage, um, which is so, I think, um, problematic for Roman Catholics because you can't just say this is talking about law because laws, the term anomaly, law is not even mentioned until mm-hmm. later in chapter four. Any works. Abraham wasn't any, even under the law. Right. And that's Paul's example. Um, the one. Uh, now, to the one who works, his wages are not credited to, as a favor, but what is due. But he who does not work, or the the non-working one, literally, um, but believes him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited or imputed as righteous. Then he quotes in 6 and 7, David, who is under the law, but he speaks of the same blessings on the man who God imputes righteousness apart from works. Yeah. Okay, look at verse 8. Paul's quoting from the Septuagint in Psalm 32. I think verse two, blessed is the man who sinned the Lord. Here we go again. We have that, that double native construction. Blessed is the man who sinned the Lord will never, never, not even a possibility Mm. count against him. Now, what sin would God count against you if you didn't repent? (laughs) Paul says there's not even a possibility. Is there any sin? In the context of justification. Right. In other words, there's no forfeiting of righteousness. That's right. His righteous status before the Lord. And that's why I see this this doctrine of conditional salvation, one of emotion and philosophy. Right. I really do. It's it's look, when when we when I sin, it you know, I don't feel saved. You know, I don't feel saved, you know. Right. But I know that scripture is my 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 
you know, that's my rule. That's my, that's my canon. That's what I, I live under the scriptures in spite of my emotion. That's right. And the strong Holy, passage that, from Romans right. 4. And the Holy Spirit who seals us is the same person who sustains us that when we are condemned in the guilt of our own conscience in the flesh that fights against the spirit and we're accused by the enemy according to the spiritual warfare of Ephesians 6 and other places, the spirit, mm. God the Holy Spirit, testifies to our spirit we are his children. And if children, heirs. And if heirs, there's a promise there and it's sealed by the spirit of God. God cannot lie. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So if Abraham worked, the words there, as we saw, in, as you mentioned in Romans 4, when you work, you deserve what you get. It's a wage. Grace is a gift. So the mm. one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, this faith is counted as righteousness. And this is... It just takes us all the way back through all of these podcasts, brother, that we've we've just tried to cover the doctrine of the gospel. That's really what this is not doctrines of grace, this is not Calvinism, this is not Reformed theology. Those are those are historical labels, etc. But it, this is this is the doctrine of the gospel. These are the teachings of, of Christ and what he has accomplished. Uh, we mm. are able to realize the promise and I spoke of Abraham this morning. I finished out John chapter eight this morning in our in our services, and I just closed out with the, uh, you know, with Genesis eighteen where Jesus met with Abraham, and in Genesis twenty two where where he says that the Lord will provide a ram for this offering. Uh, you know, he'll he'll ref, he'll provide the sacrifice. He'll provide the lamb. Uh, and and then we see in in Hebrews eleven, Abraham looked from afar. And it wasn't about a temporal land, lest they could go back to it. You know, he looked from afar at that which he could not grasp while he was alive, but he rejoiced in the day of Christ. Abraham's faith and his perseverance is the same as mine and yours today. Through the finished and powerful, completed work of God to save his people from their sins. And there is there is nothing more damaging than false and conditional gospels. And and this has been a big conversation that I've had that uh, with a lot of people in the last few months and even came up tonight in our broad in my broadcast at eight o'clock. And um, you know, what do we do with people who continue to reject the gospel of grace and they continue to put conditions on what is taking place as far as, you know, well, this is what I believe. I know what the Bible's saying there, but what about this verse? What about that verse? And they even when you show them plainly the question was, what do we deal, what do we do, what do we think of people who claim to be in Christ but continue to reject the effectual grace of God? Now, Jesus says something about this in the, in the Gospels. He says that you cannot believe, as you've already mentioned in John 10, because you're not my sheep. You cannot believe because it has not been granted to you to believe. You cannot believe because you've not been given to me by the Father. So we need to recognize that when people, though they come with the religiosity in their, ver in their vernacular, when they come with these Christianese terms and labels and God is great and the Lord is good and Jesus paid for my sins, great. But when they reject the actual effectual work of how God has satisfied his judgment through the death of Christ, 
and how God has counted us righteous through the life of Christ. And, and, and we have forgiveness of sins. If they reject the very teaching of the Scripture, then we need to approach them prayerfully in need of salvation, in need of the evangel, in need of correction from a works-based righteousness, which is all that Judaism was, a works-based righteousness that all that Romanism is, <laughs> to the righteousness that is not our own, but it is apart from us. It is outside of us. It is alien. It is the work of Christ. His obedience and his atoning sacrifice is all external, like you've already said tonight. It's external. Mm-hmm. It is not in <clears throat> us. Salvation is not in us. It's not by us. It's not through us. It is for us, and it is God's doing. So we need to we need to all understand and keep in mind that when people continually assert a false or conditional or addendum to the gospel, they need to be evangelized. That's what happened in Paul's teaching to the region of Galatia. Paul, that, that, that was a very harsh letter. Paul did not say, you know, you guys need to just straighten it out now, work it out amongst yourselves. This is an internal conflict. This is an academic issue. No, Paul says anathema to those who would hope in any addition to the work of Christ. If there's anything that one can do, and Paul even deals with Abraham there in, in Galatians. You know, so this is, this is why, and I keep asserting this and keep reminding us of this, but this is why these doctrines are important. Um, we're not doing church history here. We're, we're trying to help everyone see the gravity of what is and is not the gospel. And, and, and I think that that's, that's what needs to stay atop of mind as we continue to teach these things. Yes, yes, yeah. It's unfortunate people are satisfied with an incomplete um, knowledge of the gospel, an incomplete knowledge of the Trinity, incomplete no- just incomplete or modeled or just, you know, they're not that concerned as right. long as, you know, they have the love of Christ, you know, that kind of thing. But um, God's a God of precision. As yes. he says to Timothy, you know, handle the word accurately, orthotimeo, cut straight the word of God. He wants precision, and we have it in front of us. And there's no excuse, especially today, because we have so many language tools. We have so many uh, word uh, resources online that's free. You know, there's no excuse, especially for those who teach, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think uh, my, my last one that I found is uh, last two, Romans 8, and then... Yeah. Um, uh, there's one I wanted to, it's a short one that I wanted to, uh, actually get that in, but Romans eight, and of course we were talking about a future show going through the Ordo Salutis yes, or the golden chain of salvation, because there's so much there and it's so comforting and, and inspiring and motivational. But verse 28, now again, this is still in light of Paul's main thesis. God's method of justification has not changed. Right. Okay. Verse 28, he gives the confidence that we know that God causes all things to work together for the good. Mm-hmm. For those who love God, uh, <coughs> excuse me, for those called, and the Greek says called according to purpose. We added the his. But then we have the, this be- beautiful order for those whom he foreknew, which is a verb, by the way, not a noun, proegno. Uh, he also predestined to conform the image of a son, so he would be the firstborn uh among many brethren. And then in verse 30, and these whom he predestined, he also called, and these whom he called, he also justified, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. Yes. Now first, this 
you know, syntactically, you, you can't separate these five verbs. You just can't. But the last verb, the last verb, uh, glorified, it's, it's in a past tense, just like all the other verbs. Mm-hmm. It's in the area's past tense. And as we m- talked about this before, the reason why it's in a past tense, Paul uses a particular linguistic device called, a, uh, as we call it today, a, um, a proliptic areas, meaning he's so sure that all those who are justified will be glorified. He's so sure of that event he put, it, it, he puts it in a past tense as good as, as good as done. So we have from start to finish for all those he loved, you will be glorified. If yeah. you're saved tonight, pr- more than just promises a future tense, he puts it in a past glorified. It's an areas, you know, prolific, beautiful. You will be glorified. But then he goes on, what should we, should, uh, should we say to all yeah. these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Yes. And then, very interesting, in verse 33, he uses this as you know this legal language, who will bring a charge against God's elect, who is the one, or God is the one who justifies, who condemns. Um, but then, in, in Jesus, is a, he intercedes for us always. And also, if you're going to assert that you can forfeit your justification, you just made his intercession fail miserably because he couldn't intercede for you. That's right. But then in verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Well, tribulation, distress, persecution. He gives all these, all these things in creation, anything in creation, outside creation, you know, anything in creation or in the, in the heavens and earth, I should say. Um, but he says, none of these things can separate you. So do you think your, your sin uh, which would include sin, all these things, persecution, right. nakedness. Per- and Paul ne- never gives an exhaustive list. He mentions everything, though. He says nothing will be able to separate, separate you from the love of Christ. Look, if you forget to repent and you die and you go to hell as the conditional, the ones who teach conditional salvation, well, you just separated yourself from the love of Christ in spite of what Paul said. He said nothing, not even your sin. And then... One of my favorite passages here is in verse 37. But in all these things, our salvation, the golden chain, all these things that he gave us. It says, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. The term overwhelmingly conquer, um, it's a term that Paul made up in the Greek. Um, Eusebius uses it. But other than that, you did, you, Paul made it up. It comes from two words. Yeah, it comes from uh, Hooper, which means... Um, above or, or super or hyper, as we say today, and Nikaio, which means victorious, right? To to be victorious, he puts these things together, and we're super victorious. We're not just a little victorious. We're super Nike, as I say, hyper Nike, yeah. because of these things. What things? The five verbs in thirty and or twenty nine and thirty. This beautiful ordo salutis, this order of salvation. And then he goes on, I'm convinced, I'm thoroughly convinced, I have a binding confidence that neither death, life, angels, principalities, things in the present, things to come, right? No powers, no height, death, any other created thing, including your sin, will be able, will have the power or the ability to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So the question for you, Mr. Roman Catholic, what sin can you commit? that would separate you from the love of God if Paul says there's nothing in all creation that can separate you from the love of Christ. That's right. That's right. Yeah, if you can be separated from Christ, you are not his. 
He has not loved you, and the gospel no, of grace promised. is not effectual for you. So, uh-huh. and if you are not in Christ, you have been separated from Him permanently already. <laughs> I mean, it's just yeah, you've, a, been, you've been separated. You've been separated. Right? You're the condemnation of God, and you know that's a that's that's some tough things. We we have so many thoughts and so many situations we need to deal with. Uh, I tell you, we'll do this coming week. We we definitely have some questions that we need to answer from our audience and and then possibly let's start the golden chain. We you and I talked about it and you even mentioned that we might do one podcast per. So we might look at, you know, all of these things predestined, uh, called, justified, glorified and um, you know, foreknew those things. We might work out those things for our listeners so that they can get a handle on the work of God and all of these things. This is all God doing all these things. All the conditions of the elect are met by God. All of these Mm. verbs are his. He does them all. And though we see some conditional language in other exhortations and other rebukes and other areas of sifting through the goats and the sheep who are of the same assembly at times— the wheat and the chaff who share <laughs> who share the assembly um in the end of it all we know that there is no condition given except that Christ has died he has died mm. and he has raised from 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 death and he is at the right hand of God and interceding for us that there is no one who shall bring a charge against us we are guiltless mm. before God because his wrath is satisfied, he is our propitiation, and um, that's right. And that's that's the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of the gospel, and there's nothing else that we can we can do or say to cause people to see it. It is the work of God, even in that calling. It is the call that effectually opens the eyes of the unbeliever who are the children of God and makes them aware of what God has done, helps them to believe and trust in what God has done. And then sets them in a place of continual perseverance that they will maintain, even when there are seasons of life where it seems that sin has befallen us in such a way that we can never overcome. God has made a way. And the Holy Spirit, in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit will console us. The Holy Spirit will pray for us. The mind of God he knows, for he is God. He will pray for us the will of God. And the will of God is that he will lose none of those he's given to his son, for he is not a changing God. He is an immutable, righteous, holy, and loving God who loves his children in giving his son on their behalf. And so it is a done deal. And that gospel that saves is the gospel that keeps. And so that's, uh, we've just run out of time, brother. I tell you, that, that hour went by fast there. <laughs> yes, yes. Sure did. But, um, praise God for everyone listening. Amen. And, uh, Fact of the matter is, we're, we're in the best case scenario, no matter what your situation is. We're in the best case scenario because nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. That's right. That's right. And maybe sometimes uh, you guys might have questions about that. And some of you may be struggling with it. Some of you go, well, I hear what you're saying, but I just can't find that security. Reach out to us. Go to theologyanswers.com. Send us a message. We will get it. We will contact you. If you don't want us to deal with this on a podcast, you want to email or a phone call even, let us know. We'll make time to make that happen. And above all things, we do what we do in these podcasts for the sake of your joy and understanding. 
And if you can take these things and learn and grow by the power of the Holy Spirit, understand, then we want to help you learn how to also share this with others. So we look forward to hearing from you. We pray for you all, and we are happy to announce that we're going to do some Q&A next week. You can go over to christiandefense.org, and you can see Brother Edwards' writing and a lot of articles that he's written, a lot of good things there. I can't recommend it enough. And then my blog over at anchoringfaith.org. And we are part of the Christian Podcast Community. You can go there at christianpodcastcommunity.com and see other good publishings and broadcastings. And if maybe you have a podcast and you have thought about starting or maybe you have one that you just want to have a camaraderie around, let us know. Go there and see if it's something that might be a fit for you. But until next week, we are signing off and we look forward to talking with you then.